uh, most of you have heard that uh, Miss Clara Wardrop had uh, departed from this planet, been with the Lord since 4 a.m. this morning. So far, what we know, the arrangements are that will be visitation in uh, the uh, funeral home on Friday, 5 through 8 p.m. And on, sun, on Saturday, at 11 a.m., there will be a memorial service right here in the church. Which means, ladies, you need to clear your property that you live. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So you need to clear them. So we have uh, uh, no, no article hanging when we begin on Saturday. And if anything changes, I'm sure you all get somewhere, somehow you get information. Let's pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening. Thankful for your grace and your mercy. Thankful that you are an awesome God, powerful, loving, devoted to your children. We can't explain, nor can we really able to thank you for the goodness that you display to each and every one of us. So, Father, as we have gathered this evening to study a portion of your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will open our minds and cause us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We're still dealing with a song of praise for God's deliverance of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistine. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Pharaoh and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and his rider he has hauled into the sea. So let me continue to remind you of the second responsibility that you have as a believer 
regarding God's deliverance or goodness to you that we have been studying, which is to ensure that in your praise you acknowledge specific characteristics or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. Now this responsibility, as we have stated severally, implies that your praise of God for his goodness should focus at least on three elements found in the song of praise of the passage of Exodus 15 that we are studying. The first content or element of your praise should be the characteristic or characteristics of God that pertain to his specific goodness to you. The second is his action and the manner in which he carried out carried it out if that is known to you. The third is the acknowledgement of his uniqueness, which involves acknowledging that God remains unique and incomparable to all the divine beings that exist in heaven or on earth. In our last study, we indicated that the uniqueness of God that should be acknowledged in praising him, which Moses was concerned, is his omnipotence, beside, of course, his devotedness to his people. So we stated that that is the power of God that is to be acknowledged as unique in praising him for his deliverance of his people that is of course stated in the next verse that is verse 12 which is where we ran out of time last week and so it is with verse 12 that we begin our study this evening now Moses acknowledged God's omnipotence when he wrote in Exodus 15 12 again it reads you stretch out your right hand and the earth swallowed them now we're going to spend some time just because of uh, there's going to be a problem that we need to resolve and so we're going to look at what in detail a little more uh, this evening. Because look at that the earth swallowed them. We need to understand what that means. Of course also the stretching of, of his right hand. Now on a surface reading though it may not be apparent that it is God's omnipotence Potence that is the concern. But it is, as we demonstrate by considering the Hebrew words Moses used. For one thing, God is a spirit. And so, does not have a hand to stretch. So then we recognize that Moses meant something beyond what meets the eye. So, what actually did Moses mean to convey in that sentence? You stretch out your right hand. What is he about to tell us? Now that requires for us to look into extensively the two important expressions here. The expression stretch out is really translated from a a Hebrew word that with the basic meaning of to stretch out or to spread out or even to turn. Now the word is used overwhelmingly with body parts either in describing God or human now the word is used as a Hebrew participle 
translated into the English as, as stretched, as stretched. Now in this way, the word is used primarily with respect to God. In fact, of all the 17 times the Hebrew word is used with this meaning of astrage, it is only used once in connection with the necks of women in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 16. This is one of those things that if you are seriously in tune with spiritual things and you are a man, you can almost tell what the woman is all about. She doesn't know that you know exactly what she's thinking, but you can tell what she's about by the way she's walking. Now, this is one of those passages that tells us that this is the case. Isaiah uh, chapter 3 verse 16 reads, The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, sloughing with their eyes, tripping along with mincing steps, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. If you really study that you, you, and understand it, that's what I said, you, uh, a woman walks in certain way you can almost predict or come close to what she's thinking. You don't know it exactly, but you can. Anyway, so the verbal phrase, walking along with outstretched necks, is an idiom that conveys that a person walks arrogantly with their heads held in a position that implies that, that they are showing off. So except for this passage, the other usages of the meaning outstretched are associated with God's arm. It is in the sense of God's power that the word outstretched is used with the word arm of God in Exodus chapter 6 verse 6. Exodus chapter 6 verse 6. It is, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. See, in this, in this phrase, if, uh, in this verse particularly, the phrase, with an outstretched arm, is concerned with God's power, especially in the deliverance of his people. It is in this sense of, it is also, it is in the sense of strength or power that our Hebrew word that has the meaning outstretched is used with the arm, with the word arm, in Moses' farewell speech that reminds Israel of their deliverance by God through display of his great power in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. Deuteronomy 
chapter 5 verse 15. He reads, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So here it's referring to outstretched arm, but there's power displayed. Now it is in the sense of power that the meaning outstretched of a Hebrew word is used in the dedication prayer of Solomon for God to make his power known to foreigners who come to pray in the temple that bears his name or that he has built for him as in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 42. First Kings First Kings chapter eight verse forty two. It reads For men will uh, hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. What they're going to hear? Your outstretched arm, that couldn't be what uh, Solomon possibly means, I mean, in a literal way. All he's saying is, they're going to hear about your power. He says, when he comes and prays toward this temple, he's requesting, petitioning God to hear their prayer. Now, God's power in creation is described with our Hebrew word translated as stretched in association with body parts. Again, the body part arm in Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 5. Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 5. It is with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone at it. So again, outstretched arm, still getting to way to describe his power. Now, God's rule that involves his power. Is described using the word outstretched. And again, the body part arm in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 33. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse. 33. This is again we're looking at that word as stretched. It is as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, 
I will rule over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. Now here, of course, the outstretched arm again is saying, I'm going to rule over you with power and also with judgment because that's what uh, God will do. He shows his power. He shows it in blessings, but he also shows it in cursing. When the wall turns against him, he unleashes his wrath. Now, another meaning of our Hebrew word is to stretch out or simply to extend, to extend, that is often associated with objects such as hand, rod, among other things, such as heaven, in God's creative activity in Isaiah 44, verse 24. Here, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, it is, this is what the Lord says, you are Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, who has made all things, who alone stretch out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Now this meaning of stretching or extending is used figuratively, either of women or even of God. For example, hostility against God is described in terms of stretching hand against him, as it is used in Job chapter 15 verse 25. Job chapter 15 Verse 25. Now we're saying that it can be used in a literal, uh, literal way, but it can also be used figuratively in terms of stretching out the hand. Here it reads, Job 15.25 reads, Because he shakes his fist at God and vows himself against the Almighty. Now, see that sentence, he shakes his fist at God. More literally, the, the Hebrew reads, he stretched out his hand against God. When you think about it, how does a human being stretch out his or her hand against God? So when God is a subject of our uh, Hebrew word, the stretching of, out of his hand associated with the word against figuratively refers to him being against someone in the sense of judgment. If it is God doing it, then that means he sets himself against somebody in judgment. Because a lot of time when people uh, it's also used to describe that people are rebellious. You know, they stretch out their hand and uh, more or less dare God by that I mean people know what the Bible says, they still ignore it. 
In that way you are daring God to see what he's going to do. And, and it wouldn't be a good place to be anyway. Anyway, it is in this sense of uh, God sending judgment against someone that the word is really used in the announcement of God's plague judgments on the Egyptians. As we read in a passage we studied in the past in Exodus chapter 7 verses 4 and 5. Exodus chapter 7 verses 4 and 5. He reads, He will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring my my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord who stretched out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So here clearly, when God says, I stretch out my hand against Egypt, it means I'm going to rain down judgment on Egypt, which will study the plagues that he brought. That's what God promised, so that when his hand is involved, being stretched against a nation or a people implies judgment. Now it is also in the sense of judgment against Judah that the word is used in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 4. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 4. It is, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of them. The names of the pagan and idolatrous, idolatrous priests. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to bring judgment on all these idols that the Judeans have got involved into, or Israel has got involved into. God says, I'm going to bring judgment on this and then on those who serve as their priests. Now, so that's why the sentence, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem is really an idiom or a figurative statement that means that God will punish the people in Judah as reflected in the translation of the today's English version. This is the way they translated it. I will punish the people of Jerusalem and all of Judah. So they went ahead and just said it's punishment instead of just stretching out the hand. Anyway, in our passage of Exodus chapter 15 verse 12, the Hebrew word is used in the sense of to extend out or to thrust out. To thrust out. 
Now the thing that is extended out or trusted out is described as God's right hand in the sentence where we're studying Exodus 15 verse 12. Look at that sentence again. It says, you stretch out your right hand. You stretch out your right hand. Now the expression right hand is translated from a Hebrew word that I've, uh, we've gone over several times, but I'll see repeat that here. Uh, it is from a Hebrew word that refers to the right side of or a position to the right of someone or to the right of something. So the word may then mean right as opposite left. As in the option Abraham gave to his nephew Lot when he, they were prospering too much together and Abraham felt there need to be a separation. So he gave him the first choice. Even though Abraham was older and he, he still thought it necessary to offer his nephew the first choice. So he says, if you go right, right, I go left. And that's the way it is used in Genesis chapter 13, verse 9. Again, this is the kind of thing that you, when you read it, you realize what uh, great uh, believer Abraham was. And when you see all these things, it, it reminds you that once you believe that God is in control of all things, you, you're not threatened by anyone. Or whatever they do, they don't threaten you. People get threatened a lot because they don't know who is in control. So here's what Abraham said. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I go to the right. If you go to the right, I go to the left. See, he had that confidence that whatever way he goes is where the Lord wants him, and that's where the Lord will bless him. So he wasn't wasn't threatened by whatever choice he's giving his nephew to make. Anyway, the Hebrew word uh, used here, yamin, actually, uh, because when you are facing east, then the the right is towards uh, the south. Our Hebrew word then means south, as the word is used in Job's complaint about his inability to locate God. So, he could bring his case to him. In Job chapter 23, verse 9. We know Job had a, a, a great testing. So, in the midst of his suffering, he, he will call and doesn't, God doesn't seem to answer him. And that's why he's complaining. And many times, uh, there may be a time as a believer that you may face some situations and you would think that God is no longer around. You just call, nothing is happening. You pray, nothing happens. Shouldn't be discouraged. He's there. Just working out his purpose. So that's what Job was. That's why Job is complaining here. Say, Job 23 verse 9 says, 
When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And I used to say, I'm trying to get this God. I'm trying to reach him. I can reach him. He stayed there. He just said, because of what he was uh, putting Job through, in order to prove the point that Job is a blameless man, one who is devoted to him, uh, he seems to have hidden himself from Job. And again, as I say, uh, you read this, things, you think it wouldn't happen to you. It can happen to you as a believer. And you pray, you ask, nothing happens. It's not that God has abandoned you because he promised never to do that. It's just that he is working out his purpose and sometimes we do not really know what it is until later on in our lives we come to recognize. Anyway, the Hebrew word may mean right hand as it is used to describe in which hand one that made an idol holds it. As we read in Isaiah 44 verse 20. Isaiah Isaiah 44 verse 20 It is He feasts on ashes A deluded heart misleads him He cannot save himself or say is not this thing in my right hand a lie? In other words, someone in idolatry doesn't seem to see it. So that they realize that idolatry is nothing but a lie. That's what the Lord is saying here. Of course, there's more though to the use of the expression right hand in the Old Testament uh, scripture. The right hand was usually the position of honor privilege and preference. Thus, when Joseph brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to be blessed by his father Jacob, he positioned the two boys in such a way that Jacob's right hand would be placed on Manasseh, the older son, because right hand will mean he is receiving a greater blessing. But to the dismay of Joseph, his, his father switched his hands. So he placed the right hand on the younger son, as we read in Genesis 48, verses 13 to 14. It is uh, one of those, again, that I remind you, each time I come through this, I remind you of how God works, the Holy Spirit works in people. He doesn't always have to say, well, the Holy Spirit is working. don't have to say that. It's the Holy Spirit is working. This is the case, because there's no advance warning given to uh, Jacob as to what's going to take place. But suddenly, as he begins to... Uh, Bless his grandchildren. He switched, crossed his hand. Right, the way it's supposed to be, he crossed it and turned it to left. So, this is what happened. He said, and Joseph took both of them 
Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left. And, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right. And brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's hand. Though he was younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Because, again, this is some of those things that they are silent things that we need to look at. Uh, for, you can really think, if I can say it this way, Joseph was horrified, really. Because he didn't, you know, this is the older son, and we know the blessings in Israel and all that time goes to the firstborn. Now, so that um, caused him to be a little bit irritated with his father. But of course he respected him enough to realize, okay. But even though he shouldn't have done that in his mind, but he didn't know what God was doing. So that is something to remind you. Many times when you see something, you think people are wrong in what they are doing. I mean, I'm not talking about anything sinful. And you try to correct it because you think it should go this way, but you don't know what God is working out. So that's why we always have to be cautious when we see people do certain things that are not sinful. But it just doesn't follow our norm the way we expect things to happen. So here, the, by all indication, the, blessed, the right hand of privilege should be placed on the older son. But that didn't happen. Again, that's because God the Holy Spirit walked. Think about it for a moment. All I'm trying to get to you is many times we think that uh, the Holy Spirit will speak and so we hear. He, can, he will walk in our minds and, uh, and cause us to say or do things. So if you think about it here, what's walking in, in this man, man's mind? When his two grandchildren uh, are before him, that he will cross his hand like that. So you see that the Holy Spirit can walk in you to cause you to do things if he is controlling you. And it may not make sense, don't worry about it. It's as long as he is controlling you. Anyway, so the right hand being a, a sign of opposition of honor, privilege of and uh, preference was such that Israel understood the significance of the right hand side so that when Solomon uh, when, when his mother came to see him after he ascended the throne of Israel to plead for the young lady that was put more or less as a woman blanket that's the best way to describe it because a young lady who was a virgin was brought to sleep by the side of David so that her body would keep David warm. And so, after David passed, uh, the next in line in terms of son wants to get married the young lady. But um, that wasn't going to happen easily. So, he sent Solomon's mother to go and plead his case. And that's what we have in First Kings chapter 2, verse 19. 
Fourth Kings. Chapter two, uh, chapter two, verse nineteen. It is when Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. The king stood up to meet her, bowed down to her. Now, I like that. Just thinking for a moment. Bow down to her. That is a sign of respect for the mother. He is now the most powerful person in Israel. But that didn't change the fact that he is still a son to this woman. And therefore, must respect her. And she did, and he did that. Bow down. So that's why he said, bow down to her and sat down on his throne. Recognize the mother and sat down. Now he had a throne brought for the king's mother and she sat down at the right at his right hand. Again, that is to show that she at that point was a privileged woman for being the mother of the king. Now, when the right, uh, when the phrase "right hand" is used with the Lord, though, it points to several things. The right hand of the Lord is associated with doing great things. Does the summit make this point in Psalm 118, verse 16? Psalms 118. Verse 16. And hold on to Psalms. We're going to look at Psalms. Psalms 118 verse 16 reads, The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. That's a way to say, okay, his right hand is for doing great things. Now the phrase right hand though in connection with God is associated with deliverance. As the psalmist states in Psalm 17 verse 7. Psalm chapter 17 verse 7. Hold on to that. Psalm 17 verse 7. He says, Show the wonder of your great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. So here is the psalmist recognized right hand to be associated with deliverance. Now the the also, uh, the psalmist declares that God is one who sustains his people through the use of the right hand. And that is why that 
sentiment is uh, conveyed in Psalm 18 verse 35. Psalms 18 verse 35. Psalm 18 verse 35 reads, You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. Now God himself promised to uphold believers with his right hand. And so there is a promise. And I believe if you can commit this particular promise to your mind. So that if you face a fearful situation, you can bring this promise to God. And that should calm you down if you are facing a fearful situation. This is some of the benefits of war study because you see a lot of passages. So this promise is one I believe and I recommend that you try to commit it to your memory. And that is Isaiah 41 verse 10. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. He reads, Isaiah 41 times says, So do not fear, for I am with you. In other words, once you run into a situation of fear, God says, I am with you, don't fear. He said, Do not be dismayed. Why? He said, For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So that's a promise that is worthwhile retaining in the midst of panicking situations. You can say to yourself, God tells me, don't fear. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed because I'm your God. Now the lost right hand assures victory for his people. As the psalmist stated in Psalm 44 verse 3. Psalm 44, verse 3. It is, It is not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. In other words, the psalmist is really acknowledging the conquest of Canaan, for example, wasn't what the Israelites achieved on their own. It says, it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you love them. So these various passages that we have cited in connection with the phrase, right hand, as it relates to God, show that uh, the phrase, has a sense of 
God's power in deliverance, his sustenance, and victory for his people. So you bear that in mind as we look at the meanings of the Hebrew word to help us deal with the sentence of verse 12 that we're studying Exodus 15 when it says, You stretch out your right hand. So the words we have examined enables us then to interpret what Moses meant in this sentence in his song. He meant that the Lord displayed his power before Israel. Now that this display of God's power is a way to recognize that God is omnipotent or powerful. Those were correct then in asserting that the uniqueness of God that Moses intended to convey is his omnipotence. Now God's display of his power always has an effect or it produces result or results when God displays his power. Now although there is no word in the Hebrew line of uh, Exodus 15 verse 12 that indicates result. But that is implied by what Moses wrote next. Look at the next thing in verse 12 we were studying. He says, and the earth swallowed them. He displayed his power and the earth swallowed them. Now when I say that's because I have now explained that you, when he say you stretch out your right hand, that that means he displayed his power. So God's display of his power results in what is given here when he says, and the earth swallowed them. Now this is a challenging statement to interpret. Since it is concerned with the Egyptians, render, uh, referred here in the pronoun them, because it says, and the earth swallowed them. Them referred to the Egyptians. And that's what causes a problem. Now we know that the Egyptians were drowned. But look at this passage say the earth swallowed them. But the Egyptians were drowned according to Exodus chapter 14 verse 28. Exodus chapter 14 verse 28. It reads, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Now, so here we have them being drowned by water. But Moses' song says, and the earth swallowed them. Furthermore, Moses in his uh, song in this 15th chapter of Exodus that uh, we have already stated the fact that the Egyptians were drowned. Look at the same passage we are studying in Exodus 15. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 we says the deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a, st- a, st- a stone. So this is what we start then. Moses stated in the sentence of Exodus 15 uh, verse 12 that the earth swallowed the Egyptians. So, 
was he conflicting himself in what he described both in the 14th chapter and the 15th chapter of Exodus? Was he uh, conflicting himself? No, he was not. Because there cannot be a conflict in the scripture. Therefore, our challenge is to determine what Moses meant when he wrote, and the earth swallowed them. What did he mean? Now the concept of the earth swallowing people is not difficult to understand, as that means that people were buried alive. So anyway, the word swallowed is translated from a Hebrew word that means to swallow, as the word is used to describe God's judgment on Korah, and those who join in rebellion against their leader, spiritual leader Moses, as we read in Numbers 26, verse 10. Numbers 26, verse 10. Numbers 26 verse 10 reads, The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. And they served as a warning sign. In other words, the Lord did what he did, and the earth split, and everyone fell in, covered them. Now, of course, the what may also mean to devour, to devour, as it is used to contrast the attitude of a fool and the wise towards his possession. In that, in contrast to the wise, the fool wastes or uses up his property without being thoughtful of what he's doing, as implied in Proverbs. Chapter 21, verse 20. Proverbs. Proverbs 21, 20. Reads, In the house of the wise are stores of choice, food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. He's very extravagant. Doesn't know how to use things. Now in our passage, no doubt the word means to swallow in the sense of permanently engulfing individuals, implying a solid action the Lord brought on the Egyptians that led to their certain death. So anyway, it is the earth, though, that is said to swallow the Egyptian, not the water. See, the word earth here is translated from a Hebrew word that no doubt means earth, as a surface of the earth where humankind lives, or the world, as the word is used in the blessing that God brought to mankind through our first parents, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28.
He reads, Genesis 1.28 reads, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the Hebrew word uh, can mean land. And even then, land actually can really refer to inhabitants of a place. As the word is used in prohibition against prostitution in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 29. Leviticus 19 verse 29 He reads Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Now the word translated here is translated land. Now clearly the word land in Leviticus here could not refer to a piece of land. Since such entity is incapable of prostitution, so the word land refers to the citizens or the inhabitants of the nation of Israel. Now the Hebrew word uh, can also, uh, although used for, with the word earth, it can mean something figuratively in the sense of Shuel. Shoel or the underworld. You can refer to that. So the idea that the uh, word earth can be used figuratively for things like um, the shoel is really what you find in Job chapter 10 verse 21. Job Job 10.21 reads, Before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and deep shallow. See that phrase, land of gloom and deep shallow, is a description of Shoel or the underworld. Now, earth can also figuratively refer to the womb, a woman's womb. This we know from Psalm 139, verse 15. Psalms 139, verse 15. Psalm 139, verse 15 reads, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. See that phrase, depths of the earth, could not have a literal meaning. Since the psalmist described his conception. Therefore, the phrase refers to the mother's uh, womb, implying that the word earth here is used figuratively for the mother's womb. So anyway, in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 12, the word earth refers to the underworld. 
as the place of the dead. That's what it refers to. I mean, you can read it. You can read all you want. You cannot find, you will not get what I'm explaining to you. So, our interpretation that the word earth is used figuratively for Sheol or the place where those that died in the Old Testament went allows us then to interpret what Moses wrote in Exodus 15 when he says, and the earth swallowed them. Well, he meant that the Egyptians had descended to Sheol or the place of the dead. Now, this being the case, it is God's power that is displayed in sending the Egyptians to Sheol, implying that they are forever doomed. So it reminds us of the instruction of the Lord Jesus that indicates that there's only one, one, one we should fear, and that is God who has the power to send people to hell, according to Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Luke Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Luke chapter 12, verse 5 reads, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, ha- who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So any- anyway, there is a sense then that when Moses wrote in Exodus 15:12. And the earth swallowed them. He gave a fuller description of what he told the Israelites that they would never see the Egyptians again in the passage of Exodus 14 verse 13. I'm not going to read it, but that's why he assured them. He said, this Egyptian, you see, you never see them again. So when he said that the earth swallowed them, that's a fuller explanation of what has happened. And because they descended into Shoel, or the place the dead go, the unbelievers went uh, that uh, compartment where they went that implied that the Egyptians would never have any more anything to do with the Israelites so that the Israelites would not uh, see them forever so that's when Moses told them these people you see you will never see again this song where he's expressing what God did by saying the earth swallowed them it's a way to say, yes, the Egyptians went to the underworld. Therefore, you will never see them again. In other words, a person goes to hell, that's the end of it. You're a believer. Forever and ever, no more contact. Nothing. You can't have anything to do with that person. So this is why, uh, if people understood these things, you think twice about people that you're dealing with on this planet, because some of you may be so attached to unbelievers, it all ends here. Because once an unbeliever dies and never believes in Christ, you never see them again. Unlike your fellow believer, who you may not like now, but you're going to stay with him or her forever in heaven. So you better really better off to do what? Like your fellow believer. Love him or love her. So this is what Moses is saying in a way when he says the earth swallowed them. That is to say, you'll never see them again. That my fellow believer, is part of what Moses is praising God for. Because he's actually done what he promised in terms of Israel never seeing this people again. So, again, the message remains that you shouldn't show 
that in your praise you acknowledge specific characteristic or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. Holy Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to continue to see how powerful you are and what you do and so we can claim and stand firm knowing that you are our God and so that we will never fear no matter what circumstances that surround us. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.